0: The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 24. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up ancient doors, then the King of glory will come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord of armies, he is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. You can be seated. My title this morning as we're looking at Psalm 24 is, Welcome the King. Welcome the King. We all live in the anticipation of welcoming some kind of future. I remember applying for college, What just seems like too long ago now, the years continue to go by, and uh, I'm not 13, somebody said I looked 13 last week, shame on you, Uh, no, I love you. But I remember applying for college, and uh, you know, the mail goes out, and then I don't think for two weeks my mom had to check the mail one time, two, three weeks, however long it was, I was always out there checking the mail, Uh, I wanted to be the first one to get it, I wanted to know, did I get in? And there was this season of anticipation. And then the day came when the letterhead arrived, right? And they don't tell you on the outside of the envelope what the answer is. So you've got to carry this thing inside. And the butterflies in your stomach increase as you wait. Then you get inside and you open the letter. And I opened it and I remember it's just the wave of relief and joy that I had made it into the school that I wanted to go to. We all live in this posture, if we have any hope at all, this posture of of welcome, of, of anticipating a better future, of expectation. You know, maybe it's related to relationships or relationship goals, right? You hope one day to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, and then maybe you hope one day to get engaged, and then you get engaged, and it's a season of anticipation, of waiting to be married. But it's not just those kinds of areas of life. It's really all of life. I mean, there is anticipation of getting a job. You go for the interview and you wonder, will you get the call back? And you get the second interview and you wonder, will I get it? Or you work hard for a year to see your performance measures improve, hoping that maybe you'll get that promotion. So much of our lives is this hopeful anticipation and expectation, and it's a dangerous thing when we don't have that in our lives, when we lose hope, when there's not a positive outlook on the future, when there's not something to look forward to welcoming, in the days ahead. Well, today in Psalm 24, we are invited into a scene of joyful anticipation. In fact, we are invited into the greatest and most enduring anticipation that there is. You can actually live your entire life on the anticipation in this psalm. Many people have done that, and it can guide you and give you hope through the darkest times when As Tolkien put it, all other lights go out. Psalm 24 is a three-part song of anticipation about coming near to the Creator God and Him coming near to us. And if we will join in the expectation of this psalm, we will have something to sing about on any day and every day of our lives. So I hope you'll stay locked in as we look at this song together, Psalm 24. This song was written by King David. Uh, He's the great king of Israel. The original context of it was probably when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of God's very presence, they were bringing it into the capital city, Jerusalem. This would have been used as a liturgy on that day, a song for the congregation of Israel to sing. That phrase in verse 3 where it says, the mountain of the Lord, that means Jerusalem. Often the scriptures refer to Jerusalem as the mountain or the hill of the Lord because it's up on a geographically high place. The gates referred to in verses 7 through 9 are the gates in the city walls of Jerusalem. And so there's anticipation in this psalm, anticipation of God's presence entering the capital city after years and years and years and years of conflict. And so we're going to keep that context in mind as we look at the psalm together. It's a three-part song, as I said. We're going to look at each one, and then we're going to put it all back together. The first part of the song is in verses 1 and 2. And these verses tell us that there is a God, and everyone and everything belongs to him. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. There is a God, and everything and everyone in creation belongs to him. David is, in fact, being even more specific than I just was there. He's saying more than there is a God. There's not just a God out there. He's saying that everyone and everything belongs to Yahweh, the God of steadfast love, the covenant God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that, I hope you know this, when you look in your English Bibles and the word LORD is there in all caps, it's because it's, trans, it's translating the name of God. There is a Hebrew word for Lord, it's Adonai, the generic name for Lord, Adonai. But when there's the Lord in all caps in English, it's talking about the covenant name of God, the intimate name that God gave to Moses when he said, who shall I say sent me? God says, I am that I am, Yahweh. So everyone and everything belongs not just to some abstract creator God out there, but to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And that alone is absolutely revolutionary. Everything belongs to Yahweh. That means we don't belong to ourselves. There is a creator God. We belong to him. And he has definition. He's not abstract or distant. He is a God who makes and keeps promises. He is a God who is love. He is a God who is working all things together for his good plan. That changes it, doesn't it? So we're not our own, we belong to him. You know that famous saying about the difference between cats and dogs, right? Dogs have owners, cats have staff. (laughs) It's not mine. Dogs know that they're not their own, and they rejoice in it. They delight in it. They're so happy to see you. The cats are different. I can say this as a cat owner. They believe they are in charge of their lives and they are merely willing to allow you to be in their lives so long as you keep feeding them, let them into your room when they want to be in your room, and everything else. So, let me say this. In today's America, Don likes to offend people. I'm going to offend all of you right now. In today's America, we're all cats. We're all cats. I'm sorry to say it. We all think we're sovereign. We're all willing to keep God around as long as we get what we want from Him. And I'm not just talking about America, but the church. When we don't get that job, or our marriage breaks down, or when our expectations in life go unmet in some way, we are quick to doubt God or His goodness. Israel often doubted God's goodness as they wandered in the wilderness. They were hopeful they would enter the promised land. Once they were in the promised land, they doubted Yahweh's love for them as they had to fend off their enemies. But here in this chapter, they are securely in the city, ready to rejoice and proclaim God's name. It is good news that we don't belong to ourselves, but that we belong to the God of steadfast love. It is good news that the universe, abstract, chemical machine, is not ultimate reality, but there is a creator God who is above it all, who enters in, who makes promises to whom we belong. Whether a person trusts in or believes in Yahweh or not, we all belong to Him. Everyone does. This challenges, of course, every single culture on the planet because everyone wants to say that we have our own God or that we are our own. But it is, again, fantastically good news that we all belong to the God of Israel. We are human beings, created in the image of the divine who is love. Our lives are not determined by physics. Our lives are predestined by a God who is above it all, who is working everything together for his good purpose. So the world is not a random inkblot into which you can read anything you want or nothing. The world instead is a story. It's written by an infinitely good creator, who has written himself into the story that you might know him. And another implication of these verses, particularly with reference to the rivers, is that Yahweh is right now sustaining this creation. Right now, he's keeping the world from spiraling, spiraling out of control. Do you see the comfort in this claim, in this reality that Yahweh is the owner of everyone and everything? Do you see the goodness of it? Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Mis in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I'm sorry, Notre Dame from Indiana. We call it Notre Dame. He saw a glimpse of this when he wrote the words, Go to sleep in peace. God is awake. There's great comfort that Yahweh owns everyone and everything. He's created everything, He keeps it all going. Now, the second movement of Psalm 24 takes us from the God who is there to this next very important question, which is who can come near to God? Who can come near to Yahweh? You see, not everyone can come near to Him. Everyone belongs to Him, but not everyone can approach Him. Look again at verses 3-6. through It says, "...who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in His holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation." Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now maybe you hear those verses and and you're thinking, well, what does it mean to ascend the mountain of the Lord or stand in his holy place? Well, notice four words. In verse 3, the word stand. In verse 5, the word blessing. In verse 6, the words inquire and seek. To come near to God in this way means to be able to come into God's presence and stand there and ask for blessing. It means to be able to stand in God's presence, asking for blessing, anticipating His favor. Who is able to come into the presence of a king and stand and ask for whatever they want? That's the question. Verse 5 talks about receiving this blessing. Verse 6 talks about these people coming near, asking him. And then in verse 6, seek the face of God means more than just to seek his presence, but to seek his very blessing. Remember the blessing in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. To seek the face of God is to seek his favor, to seek his blessing. So think of the difference between a parent who is so fed up with their children that the best their children can get from them is permission to be in their presence silently. Uh, were you ever a child? Do you remember that? You ever, your parents, all they could suffer was you to be at the dinner table. They were so angry with you. You could be there, but you couldn't say a single word. So on the one hand, think of that. But on the other hand, think of parents who are so happy with their children and children who are so secure in their parents' presence, uh, presence and so secure in their parents' pleasure in them that, that they're just bold to ask for whatever they want. That's the kind of coming near that this second part of the song is about, coming near to God as a favorite child or a favored child. Who may ascend the mountain of Yahweh, who may stand in his holy place, upright and confident to ask for blessing? Who can do that? Well, verse 4 answers, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not appealed to what is false, or who's not lifted up his soul to what is false, and the one who has not sworn deceitfully. Now, you read those words, and I think to myself, uh-oh, that's not me. Clean hands and a pure heart implies complete and total integrity. But not only complete and total integrity within yourself as though you're consistent in all your words and actions, but also that your actions and words and thoughts line up with the very will of God. See, integrity, clean hands, and pure heart mean that we are one person all the time, and what we are all the time pleases the Lord. And of course it's this way. You can't go to your boss and ask for a raise if you've been 100% consistent in being late to work. And you always said you'd be late to work. You can't go to your teacher at the end of the semester and say, look, I've had complete integrity in word and deed. I never said I'd turn anything in on time. Would you please have mercy and give me straight A's? That's not how it works. Clean hands and a pure heart is consistency in word and deed and heart in a way that pleases God. That's who can stand in his holy place. Along similar lines, verse 4 goes on to say that the one who may stand in God's holy place must never have appealed to what is false. Or it could be translated, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false. Now that means a false god or an idol. So ask this question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've appealed to something false to get results? Maybe you've appealed at some point in your life to your own good behavior, and you've looked at your good track record and you've said, I deserve better than this. If so, you're looking to something false. It often comes out when we're suffering, we think, what did I do to deserve this? Which is another way of saying, I've been good enough that this should not have happened to me. It's an appeal to your own behavior, as though your own behavior and not the sovereign God should control your circumstances. And can I say this to you gently? This instinct crushes us in our suffering. And it crushes people who have experienced trauma. If we're asking the question, what did I do to deserve what that person or those people did to me? Well, the fact is, you you may not have done anything at all to deserve. You probably didn't do anything to deserve it. So in order to be merciful to the weak and those who have experienced trauma, which we're all weak, we need to be rid of this instinct to tie our fortunes so closely to the false idol of our own behavior. It is the Lord who gives, and it's the Lord who takes the way, and it's the Lord who is near to the suffering, as Pastor Don taught us last week from Psalm 23. But of course, our behavior isn't the only false idol that we set up to appeal to for blessing. We look to all kinds of things. We look to money, career, sex, education, family. We look to food to comfort us power, possessions, any number of other things that we lift up our souls to to satisfy them. But there's only one, or, or only one, who has not lifted his soul up to what is false can come into God's presence and ask for blessing. And it goes on, The verse 4, it says, The one who may stand in God's holy place must not have sworn deceitfully. When was the last time you promised to do something you had no intention of doing? Or signed something that you had no intention of really keeping. Or said something that just wasn't true and you knew it. Only the one who has not sworn deceitfully may come expecting God's blessing. So, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? This is supposed to be a song of welcome, a song of rejoicing. Who can stand in his presence? Who has any hope of receiving blessing from the Lord? Who can receive righteousness from the God of his salvation? Is there anyone who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, who has not sworn deceitfully? And of course the answer is yes, there is one. There is one human being who had perfect integrity before God and people, was the same everywhere he went, in private and in public, and whose thoughts and actions and deeds pleased the Lord. He's the one who said of himself, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he sees the Father doing, that the Son does likewise. He's the one who, when he breathed his last, hanging on the cross to Roman centurion, reflecting on what he had seen, said of him, Truly this man was the Son of God. There is one Brothers and sisters, there's good news and friends, there's one who is qualified to ascend the mountain of the Lord and stand in his presence. As difficult as the climb is, he has made the ascent, and you know his name. In fact, he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and 40 days later he ascended into heaven itself to be seated there at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Listen to that, how the theologian Herman Bavink reflects on the significance of Jesus Christ's ascension. He says, In his ascension, he triumphs over the whole earth, over all the laws of nature, over the gravity of matter. What is more, his ascension is a triumph over all the hostile, diabolical, and human forces which were robbed by God of their armor in the cross of Christ were exhibited in their helplessness and bound to Christ's chariot of victory. They are led away now as captives by Christ himself, the one who has ascended into heaven, has conquered over evil and the grave and Satan. Christ's ascension means he was able to ascend the mountain of the Lord. And in fact, Christ's ascension is a legitimate and powerful way to read the last part of this song in verses 7 through 10. In the last part of this song, God is at the gates, so welcome him in. God is at the gates. Welcome him in. Look with me and listen again. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up, ancient doors, then the king of glory will come in. Who is he this king of glory? Yahweh of armies, he is the king of glory. You could hear the congregation of Israel shouting as they welcome the ark in. That's the original context as I said, the gates and doors would have been the literal gates and doors in the walls of Jerusalem. But there's another sense in which this is the song of the angels as they welcome Jesus Christ into heaven in the ascension. Lift up your heads, you gates of heaven. Rise up, you ancient doors. Welcome this risen king into his righteous throne. Jesus Yahweh, God the Son, has come in. He entered heaven, and everyone and everything was placed by the Father under his feet, And all the earth and all its inhabitants now belong to Jesus. In fact, in the incarnation of Jesus, we see that God, who laid the earth's foundation on the seas, he came near to us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It's revolutionary. He came near in order to reveal God to us so that we might be able to see this creator for ourselves enfleshed in human flesh. He came near to reveal God to us and to die where we deserve to die. We deserve to die because we don't have clean hands or pure hearts. We have appealed to what's false. We've sworn deceitfully. And he died. Look at this. He died outside the city walls, away from the temple mount, outside of the place of God's presence. He took the curse there our curse, so that we could receive his blessing and come with him into the very presence of God. On the third day he rose and 40 40 days later ascended not to the physical temple in Jerusalem, but to the very place of which that temple was merely a shadow. He ascended into the real of holies, heaven itself. And right now, what's Jesus doing right now? What do you think Jesus is doing right now? Right now, he is standing at the door of your heart. Will you open the gate? He says in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So if you hear his voice today in what I'm saying to you, open up the gates of your heart to Him. Open the doors of your heart to Him again. Through His Spirit, He will then take up residence in you, and you will have fellowship with God now and forever. That means, that fellowship, that unity means that you then will be able to ascend the mountain of the Lord and stand in His presence. We don't come to God With our track record, our clean hands, our pure heart, we don't have them to bring. We come to God standing in Christ's credit, knowing that He has the hands and the heart and the lips that deserve blessing from God, and we stand with His record credited to our account. So now, today, to borrow from Pastor Sam Albury, you disjointed you, lack of integrity you, deceitful you, fearful you, proud you, sinful you, you, whoever you are and however you are, through Jesus may come to the Father and stand in the perfection of Christ, asking for whatever you want, knowing that your good Father will give you what you need before you ask Him. You can seek His face, knowing you'll receive His favor. What would you pray for today if you knew that was true? Pray for it today. But that's not all the hope that's embedded in this psalm. It's not just that he's knocking at the door of your heart so that you can come in and ascend into heaven with him. This psalm reminds us not only of the ascension of Christ, but it also reminds us that one day another trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and we'll join with the angels in singing this psalm as Christ returns from the heavens. And we will say, Lord... Who is this Lord? And it's the King of glory who's coming in, bringing the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem to bear, finally and once for all. On that day, we will rejoice along with all of God's people of every tribe, tongue, and nation and sing with Him. Sing with them and the angels. So, what are we doing today, right now, in this hot, sticky, natty day? Is that a word? We are rehearsing. For that day, when Christ will return, when we'll be singing with the angels and with all the faithful, in every language, the joy of Christ's return. That's why we get together and sing. The great theologian and reformer John Calvin said it this way, the Holy Spirit has exhorted the faithful to continue clapping their hands for joy until the advent of the promised Redeemer. I don't know if anybody's clapped here this morning. Maybe I heard it during one song, but we got another song to go. Think about when you're watching football or basketball, soccer, whatever you watch, cricket, I don't know, and you know your team is gonna win. How do you start to feel? Consider when you have a splitting headache and you've just downed three ibuprofen and you don't feel better yet. Still hurts just the same, but you know there's an end in sight. It changes the present to have this welcoming hope in the future doesn't it? This eager anticipation of a better future makes the present bearable, if not joyful. And in this psalm, we are reminded of the greatest, we're called up into the greatest and best possible future there is. And it is coming. We'll welcome Jesus, the King of glory in the new heavens, new earth. Praise God. So what have we seen in this psalm? Well, we've seen there is a God who made everything. And not only that, it's the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, the God who is love, Yahweh. And there's a way to come near to Him and ask for blessing. That's if we're clean and pure. And there's one who is clean and pure for us, Jesus, who descended into the hell of the cross for us so that He might ascend into heaven for us on our behalf. And we can now stand before God in Christ, receive blessing, because Jesus took the curse we deserved. Therefore, we join with the angels today, and we will join with the angels in the future, singing our glorious, happy, glad welcome of this Lord of glory, the Lord of armies who triumphs over every evil. So brothers and sisters in Christ, how is your joy? How is your faith? How's your soul? How's your heart been where you've been looking this past week? And who in your life needs this hope? Who do you need to invite to come near to this Jesus? Will you have them over this next weekend for a love-your-neighbor cookout? Are you struggling in your faith? Do you need to reach out and open up your heart so that somebody else might encourage you? Would it help you to pray Psalm 24 so that you could remember this hope? We've been given a new identity in Christ, and if you're in Christ by faith, then ask somebody, maybe in your community group, maybe in your D group, I dare you to ask them this question. Today, ask them, say, hey, where in my life do you see a need for greater purity, greater cleanliness, greater integrity? Would you help me see where I need to be more like Christ? And then rejoice as the Holy Spirit works in you to make that a reality. And if you're not going to do that, then at least do this. Wherever your struggle is, whatever you're lifting up your Heart to, whatever false idol it might be. Replace that with this better future. Whatever that thing is promising you, it's promising you something, some better future, and you know it's empty. Maybe it's pornography. It's promising you a better future. You know it's empty. But there is a better future that's not empty. Look to that better future. Maybe your struggle is is people pleasing, and so you swear deceitfully. And you think that's going to give you a better future. You know it's empty because you know you regret and then you're shameful because you didn't actually do the thing you said you were going to do. There's a better future in that moment when you're tempted, when you're tempted to trust in some shallow shadow of some fake future, pray to the Lord Jesus. Say, God, I know that this thing is promising me this and it's not true. And I know that there is a better future for me. And maybe you can't fight it on your own. Maybe you can't just pray for this on your own, but you need to ask for help from your brothers and sisters. Do that. But in that moment of of temptation you can use this psalm you can wield this psalm for joy so that you will grow in purity and holiness so that you in yourself will look more like Jesus and be more ready to stand before God and ask for blessing If you're outside of Christ this morning if you're not a believer I invite you right now to use the next few minutes to ask Jesus to speak to Jesus to try prayer speak to Jesus About what you've just heard. And I invite you to decide today for the first time to follow him, to give your life over to this King who is good and who's coming. And if you are in Christ by grace through faith, then we're going to receive communion in just a few minutes. By Christ's blood, you will stand in God's presence to receive blessing forever and ever. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand. Go to the tables on the sides and receive the bread and the cup and then return to your seats, and Pastor John Evanson will lead us to take communion together in a moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we confess that we just hope in such small things. When you have this incredible future for us, that you are the, the God who's triumphed over everything, and you have ascended and you will return. I pray for the holiness of this congregation, that we would have a a joyful holiness, that we would work together for a joyful holiness by locking our eyes on that better future that we have to welcome when the King of Glory will come in, the Lord of Armies will come near, and we will stand in your presence, singing your praises, receiving your blessing forever and ever and ever. God, for anyone here who hasn't given their lives to Christ, I pray that you would open their eyes today. Give them faith to believe, to see, to repent, to turn from the things they've been hoping in and hope in this gospel, this good news. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.